This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. I am uh, starting a new series today I'm going to talk about for the, the month of October. And uh, I started a, a couple of weeks ago thinking and praying about what I needed to, uh, to share. And um, I really felt like I was supposed to talk about baggage. Everybody say baggage. Not Baggins. Sorry, we watched Lord of the Rings yesterday. Baggage. We want baggage. Um, you know, I, uh, I started that and, uh, two weeks ago going through this whole thing because, you know, I, being here as a pastor in the church, I, you know, deal with a lot of folks and, and see a lot of the baggage we carry in our lives. And, and the reality is we all carry some baggage in our lives, don't we? And so I began listening to a bunch of sermons and different things. How many of you listen to podcasts and sermons uh, during the week. Man, I listen on the road. What Man, there's nothing better to do than to listen to the Word of God on the road when you don't have anything else to do. How much time do we waste on the road? So I started listening to all these messages on, on baggage. So we think about baggage, and if we pull it into a, a natural sense, you know, we think, about, we think about traveling, right? How many of you like to travel? Y'all who know me know it is one of my favorite things to do. There's nothing I love more than traveling around and seeing the sights around the world. Now, what do you enjoy more? Do you enjoy the journey or do you enjoy the destination more? Generally, the destination, right? Now, some people say the journey is the destination. I say bull. And <laughs> there is no way in the world the journey is a destination. Generally, the process of the journey is a bit of a hassle, isn't it? Well, i got to stop this from rotating. There we go. Generally, the journey is a bit of a hassle. How many of you love packing the car? Trying to figure out what it is you... Yeah, my wife. How many of you love airports? <laughs> Please. Many times, we love traveling, but we hate the travel process. So you think about, we've all traveled in cars. Matter of fact, Sean and I are leaving after church, and we're headed to Dallas, and we haven't packed yet, so we've got to run home and, and, and pack. And, but we can do it pretty quickly. We're pretty good at it now. But my goodness, once you've got kids, Lord, packing that car, Jesus, help us all. And by the time you've got kids arguing in the back, and your rear end is numb, and you're 10 minutes in, and somebody's got to pee, oh, man, man. I mean, seriously, right? You think about airplanes. How many of you know, man, those little seats on airplanes, there is no personal, I don't know about y'all, but I can't afford first class. Maybe you can. So you get in them little seats. Uh, let, let me tell you a true story. A few years ago, I was traveling from Chicago to Denver, and you ever been through O'Hare Airport? What a mess. Got, went through O'Hare. Actually, it's a pretty nice airport, but it's, what a mess. Went through O'Hare, and I was one of the last ones on the plane. I booked this flight late, and I knew it was one of these planes that had two aisles, so it had the seats on the sides and it had a big row of seats down the middle. You know what I'm saying? I knew my seat was right in the middle of the middle section. And I came down the aisle, and I was one of the last ones on the plane, and I realized that I was sitting right between two plus-size ladies. And I immediately felt bad for them because, you know, those seats are small. But I was sitting like this for the entire flight, and they were obviously uncomfortable. How terrible is that? Who loves a three-hour flight where you can't get comfortable? I don't know about y'all, but I can't get comfortable on a flight regardless if I have empty, seat, empty seats on either side of me. 
It's terrible. And then you think about hotels. Now, I am easily grossed out. Any of y'all who know me well? And I have to, I have to divert my mind when I walk into a hotel because the first thing I think of if I let my mind wander is, who has been in here and what have they been doing? Nasty, nasty. Now, I'll tell you another true story I just thought of. Some of, you, some of you were on a youth trip a number of years back, and we stayed in a hotel, and I had a group of teenage boys come and get me and say, come in our room, come in our room. And I went in there, and they're like, smell our bed. And I was like, please, do not, I'm not smell. <laughs> they're like, smell the bed. And I was like, what? And before I get bent all the way over, the bed reeked of, like, it reeked of poo, man. It was like a dog. It just said, right there. I mean, it was, I was like, Jesus, Jesus. Got to get out of here. Give me a tent so I can sleep outside somewhere, you know? Oh, that's the kind of things I think of in traveling. Nasty, nasty. As I mentioned, talking about baggage, my wife is a master packer. She got that from my dad. Actually, let me show you uh, the picture from our last road trip we did together as a family. Put up number one there for for me, uh, Billy. First picture. Yeah, that was our last road trip. (laughs) She packs really, really good. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Put up number two. That is much more realistic of what our car looks like when we drive. You can't see out the rearview mirror for, for anything. You, you <laughs> it, it's tough, packing. That's not our car. No, it's not. But that's about what it looks like. One of the worst parts of traveling is carrying baggage. And I don't know how many of you have ever gotten off an airplane, especially an international flight. If you've flown for 10 or 12 or 13 hours and you get off, the next thing you have to dread is baggage claim. Well, customs, but baggage claim. How many of you have ever had your luggage lost? Man, when you wait and you wait and you're the last one still standing there and none of those bags are yours, it's terrible. And here's the thing. Y'all know that many times now, many airlines now are charging more for, um, they're charging for checked bags, right? And some airlines are now charging for one checked bag. And so because of that, and because um, of um, the fact that people don't want to have to deal with baggage claim and lost luggage and all that stuff, more and more people are carrying their luggage on to the airplane. How many of you have seen this? I, I, you, you've seen, if you've, if you've traveled by plane here in the last couple of years, people are packing everything they can into a backpack and a carry and they're getting everything they can on there. And you see, you see the person coming down the aisle as you're there and you're getting buckled up and they come down with a bag and you're going, Lord Jesus, how did they get through with that? And they stand there for 10 minutes trying to get it into the overhead bin. And you're going, that's never going to fit. It's never, ever going to fit. And finally, a flight attendant comes up and says, here, I'll just put that in the back for you. But now more and more people are carrying their luggage on because they don't want to deal with the pain and the hassle of being charged for baggage fees and the pain of the uh, baggage claim, right? So this brings us to the question, how many times do we choose to carry our baggage rather than be willing to claim it? We don't want to deal with the baggage in our lives many times and check it because we realize that this could be a long, painful process, or at least we automatically expect that it will be a long, painful process. So we choose to just hang on to it and drag it around with us everywhere we go. We grit our teeth and we bear it, right? 
Now, all of us have baggage. We talked about that a minute ago. All of us have baggage in our lives, somewhere, someplace. Baggage has, it has influenced our perceptions, the way we think, the way we respond. Things in our past influence us in many different ways today. Would you all agree with that? And, you know, I understand that terrible things, terrible things happen in life. Anybody had a terrible thing happen in your life before? Of course. But instead of dealing with it, we decide instead, you know what, I can, I can handle this. I don't need any help. I can carry this. I'm strong. I can do it. And so we, again, we grit our teeth and we bear it. And we pick up another bag along with all those other bags that we're carrying in life. And how many of you know that when you carry something long enough, you end up with more issues? I got to thinking about this um, uh, a number of years back. Some of you know that I've I dealt with, with issues of my left knee for a long time. And uh, I'm much better now. I think I've got it taken care of. But I went to a physical therapist two or three years ago. And I'm laying there, and she's, she's working on it. She has me walk different ways and do all these different things. And she's there working on my left knee, and she goes, when did you injure your right leg? And I said, what? I said, no, it's my left leg. She goes, but when did you injure your right? And I said, well, about 10 years ago, I, uh, I sprained my ankle really, really badly. And she's like, how badly? And I said, well, I said it was swollen for almost two months, and it was purple. And I, I said, you know, it was, I said, it was, it was pretty bad. She goes, what did you do? I said, well, nothing. They told me there was really nothing they can do for that. She goes, did you use crutches? I said, I'm like, well, no. Take medication? No. Ibuprofen? You know what? No. And she goes, well, I'm surprised you don't have hip troubles. I said, well, as a matter of fact, <laughs> my hips do bother me from time to time. I have to stretch regularly and stuff. She goes, uh-huh. And you have left knee problems and you have issues in the arch of your foot, left foot. I was like, yeah, yeah. And she goes, so you didn't deal with the issue in your right ankle and you learned to deal with it, you pushed on through it, you walked on it anyway, and so your hips and your left leg tried to compensate to not cause further injury and pain, and now you've got issues in all those areas that have to be dealt with. And I was like, ah, really? Stupendous. That's great. Reminds me of, remember Jacob Marley from The Christmas Carol? Always like watching Scrooge. I think that was always my dad's favorite, the, the musical. Right? And you see Jacob Marley come in, and he's got all these chains that he acquired through life and all these things, right? All these things he's carrying that he didn't deal with. And the reality is sometimes we're just carrying things in life that we shouldn't be carrying around. You ever been on a road trip and you packed everything you thought you needed, and at the end of that trip, you're getting ready to go home, and you're repacking your bags, and you realize there's like five or ten things in there you didn't use. And you're like, why in the world did I carry all this stuff? that I wasn't going to use, right? How many of you would say that you're light packers? There's a few. How many of you, you're going to use every last one of them 50 pounds that's permitted? <laughs> yeah, you know you're going to, yeah. So that's going to be my question for the next few weeks. What is it that I am carrying on the journey that I shouldn't be carrying? What am I carrying on the journey? Because how many of you know we haven't reached the destination? Life is a journey. So what am I carrying on the journey that I don't need to be carrying? 
So a few questions we're going to answer here in the next few minutes. Where does baggage come from? What is the baggage we carry? Now, in your service guide, you got some notes. If you want to follow along there, you can do it. You can follow along on the YouVersion app as well. But um, I was looking this up. Where does baggage come from? And, and uh, Pastor Chris Hodges gave five things I wanted to go through real quick. I thought this was really good. And I think you guys will be able to relate to these. So five things. Number one is unfulfilled expectations. Now, unfulfilled expectations is basically when we don't get what we want, right? Or what we expect or what we think we deserve. Isn't that, isn't that the root of anger? We get angry. We don't get what we want or, or think we deserve. That's the same thing with, uh, with disappointment. Disappointment. Things should have gone this way, but instead they went that way. And it leaves us disappointed, right? Unfulfilled, unfulfilled expectations. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred. What does deferred mean? Hmm? Put off, delayed. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. And I think that many times we have unrealistic expectations of life in general. And I think especially as Christians, we have an un, um, unrealistic expectations of life. I think we have this idea that because we've received Jesus and we dropped some money in the bucket, that God should be at our beckoning call and he should be bailing us out all the time, right? We shouldn't have any troubles, Right? It sounds awfully nice. That's not generally the way it worked. Reality is Jesus promised us that there would be suffering in this life. I mean, there's a reason Jesus had to come to rescue us, right? He didn't come to join the party. He came to rescue us, correct? Because there's suffering in this life. And many times when we really stop and look at it, We've got it so good in this life already. But we find ourselves disappointed at God because he doesn't come and bail us out of all of our troubles. He promised us we'd walk through the valley of the shadow of death, didn't he? But we get upset. Unrealistic expectations. We don't think we should go through anything. And you know, we live in this, we live in this materialistic self-entitlement society anyway, don't we? Everybody thinks they deserve this and that. And it got me thinking about, uh, y'all remember the movie Santa Claus with Tim Allen? The Santa Claus? You remember uh, Tim Allen, you know, obviously he was saying he was the main character, but he had his son, Charlie. It's one of our favorite movies. We love watching that at Christmas. And then you had his, his mom and stepdad who didn't believe that Tim Allen was really Santa Claus, right? And they chose not to believe. They didn't believe. And they were just hurt because they didn't get what they wanted for Christmas one year. I actually had to look it up. Because the stepdad wanted an Oscar Mayer wiener whistle, and the mom wanted the, the board game mystery date. And they didn't get that, so Santa must not be real, and life is just not fair, right? How often do we look at things like that? And here's the, the thing. I think in many ways, we've set our kids up to fail. And you know what? I, I'm, I'm part of that generation that grew up being told my whole life, you're so special. You're so special. We're always told that we're special. We, we, we give our kids everything they want for Christmas. We hold them tight every time they cry over that hangnail, right? 
It's the generation that gets a trophy, even if you're on the <laughs> losing team and, and you rode the bench the whole season, you get a trophy. You tried. You're a winner. No, no, no. You, never mind. No. <laughs> Reality check, kid. You're special to your mom and dad and Jesus. Right? You're one of six billion people in the world. You're not any more special than the next person. Nobody wants to hear that. They're not saying that in our second grade classrooms, are they? You can't get everything you want when you grow up. Get over it, it's just a hangnail. You guys are losers this season. Try harder next one. Right? Isn't that life? How far is I tried going to get you in life? Imagine being in for a job interview. Well, we're not giving you the job, but you tried. Good job. Good job. You tried. Right? I tried. It's not going to get us anywhere in life. And we're, in some ways, I think we are grooming our kids. I, I, I talked about, I was still in the men's group, I think I've mentioned it before, that a couple years ago in Great Britain, they were trying to pass a law to do a great way with the grade F because it means fail, failure, right? And they thought, that's just going to crush those little kids' spirits. It's just going to crush their spirits. And so they were trying to pass this law. Instead of giving them an F, they would give them a DS for delayed success. <laughs> You're just a little behind, You're, Right? Help us. Help us. Unrealistic, unfulfilled expectations. I spent too long on that. Number two, untreated pain. I'm going to kind of run on through these. Untreated pain. Look, we live in the South, right? Southern hospitality. We were trained to fake it till you make it. We just smile. How you doing? I'm doing good, brother. Hey. And no, you're not. Bottled up pain you never dealt with. Faking it till you make it all the way through, right? You can see it in somebody's eyes when they're hurting, put on that fake smile, try and push right on through it. But I think at times we've all learned to do it in different ways. Jeremiah 6.14 says, They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say when there is no peace. The Message Bible says this. It says, My people are broken, shattered, and they put on band-aids saying, It's not so bad. You'll be fine. But things are not just fine. Things are not just fine. How are you? Doing great. How about you? Instead, we're not really okay. We took it, tuck it away and refuse to deal with it. Do you think that's where many people are today? Might be where some of us are today. We've learned how to respond. How you doing? Just fine. How are you? Doing great. In reality, you've got a life full of untreated pain. Third thing, unresolved past. And the unresolved past is Basically, it's not just not dealing with things. It's even more than that. It's not dealing with things quickly enough. And look, things are going to happen. Jesus, Jesus promised there'd be suffering in this life. There's going to be pain. There's going to be hurt. And there's going to be disappointment. But we have to deal with it before it begins to fester. What happens when you don't deal with a wound? You end up with more, right? Becomes an infection. It grows. It made me think. I was just thinking this morning... There were several of us, actually we're all in here this morning, that were in Brazil about, what was that, 14, 15 years ago. We were on the Amazon River for three or four weeks, and we were less than a week in, we were in this little town in the middle of nowhere. What was it called? Um, hmm? Mauez. That's what it was. We were in a little town of Mauez, which was a couple days travel by boat up the Amazon, you, no roads or anything, just jungle, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. When um, they, no roads to this place, but they did have little roads around the town. 
And, um, and we went one day, we had a little bit of time, we were going to pray for somebody later in the day, but we had the morning free, and so we went and rented motorbikes. Mike remembers it well, because as he was waiting on us to fill up our bikes, he was sitting on his motorcycle, and he leaned over and burnt the snot out of his leg. Burn it bad, didn't you? And uh, I mean, it was a second or third degree burn. And we got back to the boat, and I remember Mike saying, it, it's not bad, it don't even hurt. I was like, it don't hurt, that is bad, bro, because, I mean, it was like that big. It was huge. It was terrible. And so we were less than a week into this three- or four-week trip on the Amazon River in the middle of nowhere. What do you do, you know? And Mike said, I'll be fine, and kept rubbing this little burn cream out of the first aid kit on it and, and bathing in Amazon water. Let me tell you, that water is alive. I mean, you, you get a little handful of it, and you're going to see stuff swimming. I mean, it's like, <laughs> seriously. And, he's, you know, this is going over that wound for another three weeks. He dealt with it. And it was on the way home that I realized he was in pain. And, uh, you know, we got back. I remember telling his dad, saying, you got to get him to the hospital and, and going into the hospital. And I remember you telling me they had to scrape that thing. So it was one of the most painful things you had ever been through in your life. And it was getting a tinge of green, and uh, didn't they say a, a few more days and you could have lost your leg? So, so when we don't deal with something quickly enough, it begins to fester, doesn't it? And we end up with more issues than we started with. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. The Message Bible again says, Go ahead and be angry. You know it's okay to be angry? Why is it we think anger is a sin? Jesus got angry, didn't he? Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge, and don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil a foothold in your life. What's he saying? He's saying, be angry, but deal with it. Take care of it. Do what needs to be done, right? So don't let the sun go down in your anger. So, you know, there are going to be times that we're really upset and we're really angry, but we must deal with it. And the scripture indicates here, deal with it the same day. And it says, if you don't, you give the enemy a foothold in your life. You open the door. Open the door for what? For him to come in and to steal, kill, and destroy. Because you didn't deal with the anger. Don't punch your husband. <laughs> Saw it over there. We have all kinds of issues and we have all many more issues if we don't deal with, uh, with what's there. And look, I understand that some of us deal with this, these issues, this unresolved past. And, you know, I, I, I don't know who hurt you. But, you know, if you, if you lay at the bed, in the bed at night and you're still replaying these scenarios over and over again from weeks ago and months ago and years ago. And, and why did they say that to me? And what, you know what? you got a stronghold in your life. you got some baggage that needs to be dealt with. And there's good news. It can be dealt with. Let me give you the next one, is unhealthy view of self. And let me tell you, this is, this is the tough one for me, unhealthy view of self. You may not think so, but this is the one I've always dealt with. You know, you all know my family. I grew up in a great family. I grew up in a family that, you know, I never for one second doubted my family's love in any kind of way. But... I'm sure, like many of you, there came a point about my sixth grade year where I started dealing with some serious issues at school. And, you know, I'm receiving love and stuff at home, but all I'm hearing at school is, you're such a loser, you'll never amount to anything. Any of you been there? I see you nodding your head. And here's the thing. I grew up and 
I, I wasn't athletic in any way. Wasn't good at any kind of sports. I knew that my dad loved sports, and I thought, i got to be good at sports. I wasn't good at any of that, which further fueled I'm a loser. Video games were becoming big when I was a kid. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? Video games were becoming big, and I couldn't, all the way through, through my childhood, I couldn't win a video game for the life of me. And I took that as to be, I'm such a loser, because everybody else would tell me I was a loser, Right? And I got to the point where if I had to stand in front of a group or talk in front of a group, man, I, I could get physically ill. I mean, I, I would get to the point where, you know, I would get anxious and just want to vomit if I had to stand and talk in front of anybody. And, you know, just getting called to the teacher's desk just to pick up a piece of paper and having to step in front of people. It, were any of y'all ever, ever that bad? I mean, it, it just, I mean, you just break into a cold sweat just having to get up and just walk a few feet in front of folks. And, you know, I, I was okay through elementary school, but, you know, between my sixth and seventh grade year, you know, in elementary school, you know, I was an honor roll student, but by seventh grade, in one semester, I got an F on my report card. One semester. I began to buy into it. And you know what that did? That told me I was a loser. I'm a loser. I'll never amount to anything. Right? It's all in what we buy into. It's all in what we believe. So, it's kind of hilarious that I would be standing right here, because there was a day I could have never done this. And the reality is, you know, I've, I've dealt with that in my life. However, I still can't let my mind wander. Does that make sense? I still can't overthink like things like getting up here and leading worship or, or getting up here and giving a talk to you guys. I can't overthink those things or, you know, I'd never, be able to, I'd never be able to get up. But the reality is God sees us differently than we see ourselves. And that's what we've got to buy into. Romans 12.3 says, the only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what, by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. Does that make sense? The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. The only accurate view of you does not come from you or anybody else around you. It comes from God. It's what he sees. So yes, it's kind of hilarious to me. I can't begin to understand why God has me do what I do. But it's kind of the way he works, isn't it? How God sees us is what matters. And then the last one I was going to give you there real quick. Last one is unrepented sin. And notice here that I didn't say unconfessed sin because you may have you may have been in a church service and you knew your life wasn't right and you, you, you ran down front and gave your life to Jesus and, you know, and confessed your sin. But the problem is, when you left, you didn't turn from it and make a plan to walk out of it. That's what it means to repent. Psalm 32, 3 and 4 says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped in the summer heat. How many of you know that unrepented sin will sap your strength quicker than just about anything else? We carry something like that. Many of us have confessed our sin to God, but we've never taken the steps to deal with it and to walk out of it. And today, it's baggage in our lives. So what do we do? We got all this baggage. Well, obviously, we check our bags, right? 
We don't want to carry our bags, so we check them. Which really, you know, the only nice part about airports to me is checking your bags. At least you get rid of your bags, right? And so many of y'all know that a couple months ago, Sean and I, for our 20th anniversary, took just the trip of a lifetime. We visited two countries in Europe and, and one in Asia, and we were gone for two weeks. And, you know, packing, trying to figure that out, packing for two weeks and figuring out what you're going to do and how you're going to, we both just carried one suitcase and then just a, you know, and just carry on, trying to figure out how we're going to make that work. And, you know, you're all the way to the airport going, did I forget something? What did I forget? And, you know, you're going through all these things and we finally get there and we're able to check our bags. And, you know, actually, I've got a picture. I'm going to show you one picture from our trip. Show, put that picture up real quick, Billy. The one picture I'm going to show you from our anniversary trip. It is Starbucks. Yes, thank you. That was the very first picture of our trip. We're in the Memphis International Airport at Starbucks. You know what we had just done? We just checked our bags. No more worrying about what we forgot. They're checked. It's done. We're going to sit down and have a Starbucks, right? And we had just been through security, which, by the way, what do they do? They make sure we're not carrying anything we're not supposed to, right? That just kind of dawned on me this morning. But... We check our bags, and then we go through security to make sure we're not carrying anything else that we're not supposed to. Anyway, we could, anyway. <laughs> we check our bags at the airport. And in our personal lives, we're carrying all these things, but Jesus is there to take our bags. He wants them. He's standing there waiting to take them. All we got to do is lift them up and set them on the scale, and guess what? doesn't matter how heavy they are. Set them up there, and he takes them. But instead, we try to carry them. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So basically, even though we deal with worldly problems, we can't deal with these problems through worldly solutions. Right? We try to sometimes. If I can just take another pill, if I can get another counselor, if I can read another self-help book, right? We try and deal with issues in our hearts. We try and deal with baggage through worldly solutions. But it doesn't help. Verse 4 goes on to say, The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Everybody say, strongholds. We can talk a lot about what strongholds are, but let me tell you, strongholds are baggage that have a stronghold, and they need to be dealt with. And you may have a stronghold in your life and something you feel like, you know, I'm doing a lot better in this area, but you find that it still trips you up from time to time because it's baggage, it's got a stronghold on your life. That word stronghold actually means, in that scripture from the Greek, it actually means a prisoner locked by deception living life by something that is not true. And that's the funny thing about baggage in our lives is that generally it's not even based in reality. It's based on a lie. It may seem real. You may have the F to show it. See, I am a loser. It's based on a lie, right? It's not how God sees us. We can't be free if we live our lives based on something that's not true. Then you're nothing more than a prisoner to deception. So what's a solution? What's a solution to a lie? The truth, right. So 
We hear all these things. I've got a friend I talked to a couple weeks ago who has this habit of cursing himself with his own words. I get onto every now and then and about the way he talks about himself. And he finally responded, he responded with some words that hit me the other day, and I haven't been able to forget. It's been going around and around my head. And he said, it's all I've ever heard. It's all I know. And I thought, Lord Jesus, how often do we buy those things? And they're a complete lie. They're totally contrary. They're totally contrary to what he says. But we live our life by it. We're determined that those words define us. We've made it part of who we are, and it's not true. The only person that can make it true is ourselves. I hope that when you guys are here at the church that you hear those uplifting words of truth, that you're more than enough, that you're equipped to handle everything that this life throws your way, that you're more than a conqueror through Jesus. I hope that you hear those things. That you're God's very own, that he looks at you and embraces you and calls you his very own, that you're heirs to his promises in your life, that you're gifted, that you're talented, that you can fulfill his will, because that's the truth about your life, right? 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Let me read that again. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. This is all those words the enemy has spoken into your ear your whole life. You're not enough. You're a loser. You'll always be broke just like your family. You'll never be enough. You'll never be liked. You'll never be accepted. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is a solution to that problem, right? We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. How do we do that? Romans 12, 2 says, Don't conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of the world. We need fresh new thoughts of truth to invade our minds. And then you got Ephesians 4, 22 and 23 says, You were taught with regard to the former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. How? To be made new in the attitude of your mind. We've got to change the attitudes of our mind. We've got to begin thinking and saying what God says because it's the truth. And why would we do that? To what end? John 8, 32. You will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. That's what we're seeking is freedom. This is the path to freedom. Want to be free? You can't just hear the truth. You've got to know the truth, and you've got to believe the truth. Then you can be free. You've got to fill yourself with it. True? So what is the truth? I'm going to end with this. ask you three, three things real quick. And I want you to write these things down. I believe that as you write these down, that I, I think some of you are going to begin to get a breakthrough right where you're at as you write these. Believe it as you write it. What is the truth? Number one, write it just like this. God still loves me. God still loves me. 
Look, I know that many times we have an unhealthy view of who God is in life, and much of that is baggage. It depends on our upbringing. We're taught that God is an angry God. He's going to bring down the hammer, right? We have this idea that we would never be enough, that we'll never be enough for God, that we'll never measure up. Guess what? We don't have to. <laughs> Jesus did it. You know, you think about your kids. Our, our kids are imperfect, all of us that have children. Our children are imperfect. They mess up sometimes, and we're disappointed, and sometimes we're angry. But it doesn't in the slightest make us love them less. Matter of fact, if anything, it makes us want to draw closer and try and point them in the right direction because we want to see them fulfill more than, do more in life than we did. We don't want to see them tripped up by the same issues. So if anything, hopefully their mess-ups draw us in closer because that's what, that's what it does for God. Every time we mess up, it doesn't mean he turns his back and walks away. Just because you jack it up today, he's still right there. He's pulling all the closer, more willing than ever to help, to intervene. God still loves you. When you wake up, his thoughts are of you. We had somebody years ago who visited the church, and he said, God's picture, your picture's on God's refrigerator. God is so much more proud of us being his children than we proudest moments we ever had of our own children. God loves you. He's not mad at you. Doesn't always like what you do. But it motivates him all the more to be there and to push you along so that you can be everything you were meant to be. Think about John 3.16. We know this. But from the Message Bible, it says, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son. You know, <laughs> I know most of you, and I, I love you all, but forgive me if it's offensive, but I don't know if I'd give my son for any one of you. <laughs> I don't know that I would. This is how much God loved you. He gave his son, his one and only son. And I love this when the message says, and this is why, so that no one needs to be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. You can have a whole and lasting life, regardless of what you've done or what's happened. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger. He didn't come to tell you how bad you are. He came to help. God still loves you. Number two, write this. God can free me. You can be free. Now look, I know, some of you have bought into the lie. You've bought into it. This is just the way my life is. It's the way it'll always be. It's just the way I am. <laughs> Every time we say that, it's like another link on the chain. Jacob Marley going through there. More baggage. It's not true. Only you can make that true. You may say, but I've been up front for thousands of altar calls, and I've been to counseling. I've been through freedom. I've prayed and I've prayed. God can free you. He can free you. Don't give up on him. He hasn't given up on you. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, You're no, you no longer, I'm sorry, you no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. 
Y'all hear that? You no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air. Some of you need the air cleared. Freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. You can be free. The last one, number three, write this down. God will restore me. God will restore me. Guys, I'm talking about all the way back. God is the only one in this life that can bring you back to factory specs. He is the only one that can restore you back to your purpose. He will restore you if you'll allow him. Psalm 71 verse 20 says, Though you have made me see troubles, the message says, you have made me stare trouble in the face, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. As we are not without hope. We get into this place carrying all this baggage and we think it's hopeless and we buy into the lie saying this is just the way it is. I'm just the loser. But it's not true. God will restore you. No matter what you've done, that life that you dreamed of can still be yours. You can check your bags. You can let go of it all. And you can still fulfill God's purpose and his plan for your life. Don't give up. Check your bags. Everybody say, check your bags. We're going to talk about that for the next few weeks. We're going to talk about the different bags and how we deal with them in our lives. But let's just take a moment. Let's just everybody bow their heads. Everybody bow your heads for me. Every head bowed. As I've been talking here, you know, everything I've said is straight from God's Word. It's, it is truth. But there is one prerequisite. You have to give your life to Christ. You have to have relationship with Him. And you may have prayed the prayer before. You may have asked Jesus to come into your life. But let me ask it a different way. I'm not going to ask, have you prayed the prayer? Do you know him? And does he know you? I've said this before, but there's nowhere in the Bible that anybody ever prayed a prayer to receive Jesus. They made the decision and they followed him. And their life reflected such. Do you know him? And does he know you? We will pray a prayer together in a minute. That's just to bring it to that point of decision. But the Bible says that when you make that decision that everything changes, that you're brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, and that all things will become new, that you become a new creation. It doesn't mean that your troubles will be gone. It doesn't mean that. But it means that he'll be there. It means that he'll walk with you through them. No longer will you have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death by yourself. The creator of the universe will walk hand in hand with you. And he will be whispering in your ear now instead of the enemy, and he'll be saying, we've got this. We've got this. You can make it. Another step, another day. And you'll find more and more that you'll begin growing and you'll find that he's using you right where you're at. 
He's using you to be a blessing in the lives of those around you, and you'll find that you're making a difference that you never made before. But first, you've got to give your life to him. You've got to make that decision that, Lord, this life is no longer my own. I surrender it, and I give it to you, and I'll follow you all the days of my life. I'm done living life for myself. I want to be free. Then this is your moment. The Bible says all you got to do is confess with your mouth and believe with your heart. On who? On Jesus. That God sent him, his only son, to die in your place, to take your sin and your guilt and your shame. To take your baggage. All you've got to do is believe it. And say, Jesus, be my Lord. And follow him. And then you can be free. Every head bowed, if that's you, and you would say, you know what? I need to get my life right this morning. I'm going to make that decision today. I'm going to make a new, renewed effort, or maybe you're even doing it for the first time. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to do things His way, and I'm going to live free in Jesus' name. If that's you, lift your hand up real quick and let me see. Who would say, I need to give my life to Christ today? I'm going to follow Him all the days of my life. Amen. Well, we're going to pray together, and regardless of whether you raise your hand or not, Again, it's not about the prayer. It's about the decision you make in your own heart. It's between you and him. All you've got to do is believe it and mean it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for sending your son Jesus in my place. Lord, I am sorry for living life for myself. I'm sorry for being self-centered, for doing things my own way, for thinking I know what's best, for relying on my own intellect, my own experience. I choose to trust you this day forward in Jesus' name. Jesus, I confess today that you are my Lord and I will follow you all the days of my life. Holy Spirit, fill me. Empower me to be everything that you've created me to be. I will follow you to the end. In Jesus' name. Still with every head bowed, if that's you, and you would say, you know what, there's some baggage in my life right now that I just, (laughs) I've got to let go. I need that breath of fresh air. I, I need the air cleared in my life. I'm tired of carrying these things. These chains are too heavy. I I'm done doing it myself. That's you with every head bowed. That's you, and you would say, I've got to let go with some baggage in my life. Just lift up your hand real quick. Who would say that? Yeah. Come on, who else? All over. I've got to let go with some baggage in my life. It may be the pain in the past. It may, it may be the bullies at school. It may be related to your family. It may be related to your workplace. It may be yourself that you've let yourself down sometimes. Maybe you've made a commitment to God at different points in your life and you feel like you've failed God over and over and over again and it eats you alive inside. Let it go. Let it go. Jesus is right there, right now. He's standing at the counter and he wants to take your bags. All you've got to do is let go and say, Jesus, they're yours. I thank you for every person that, that lifted their hand. We all carry some sort of baggage in our life. Lord, we release those things. Even those ones that hold on strongly, we command them to go in Jesus' name. That we can stand free. We thank you for it, Lord. We thank you, Lord. 
Let's all stand together. I want everybody just stick with us for about two more minutes. I want our prayer partners to come down. And I want us to go back into the chorus of this song a couple more times. And I want you guys to just, just like I say, just, just stay here for just a minute. I want, you to, I want you to worship as we sing You're Holy. And if you lifted your hand and you know there's some baggage in your life, some things you need to deal with, I want you to come down in this moment of worship. This is a holy moment. I want you to come down. I want you to let somebody agree with you. Nothing embarrassing. We all have some baggage in different areas of our life that we've got to deal with. Let's start now. Some of you know that you need to do it right now. Right now. You need to make a step. You need to come tell somebody. You need to get them to agree with you in prayer. Amen. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.